Hello, everybody. Welcome to Bible study. Adam, good to see you. Yeah, that was perfect. Of course, the girl in the foot cast beat you here, but I mean, you know. (laughs) All right, well, it's good to see everybody tonight. Uh, We're going to get started, so let's ask God's blessing on our time here. Father, thanks for uh, just being here. We thank you for your presence. We thank you, God, for your Holy Spirit who leads us, guides us, empowers us, teaches us, reveals things to us. We thank you for his presence here tonight, and we ask that he would have his way. We open our hearts, our minds, we open our lives to him tonight. We ask you that, God, you would have your way. We pray we see more of Jesus tonight. We pray we see more of you. We understand more of you. And we ask, God, that you would challenge us, challenge our thinking, challenge the way we see things, and I pray that you would change us, uh, do a miraculous thing and change us tonight, for we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to open up to Proverbs chapter 3. And if you need a Bible, some are available here on the table, feel free to get on up and grab one. So Proverbs chapter 3, I'm going to talk to you about something I never talk about tonight. So excited. I'm going to talk about money. Oh, I was right. Yeah, there's been... I like money. I like money. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Some of you have been around for about 20 years, never heard me talk about this, so... I'm going to bust one out tonight just for y'all. Yeah, we'll just keep it amongst ourselves. Does that sound okay? All right. And and anybody listening on the podcast. But any other than that, no one's going to know what we're talking about here tonight. So uh, hopefully uh, we can make some sense out of this. Uh, and I hope you can uh, take away from this uh, some stuff about money, a little bit about money, but maybe a bigger picture a perspective on things, a bigger picture perspective on God, how He works, and uh, maybe how we need to see things a little more clearly. So, let's see if that can't happen. Proverbs chapter 3, I need a volunteer to read verses 9 and 10. All right, thanks for reading that. Uh, here we have uh, just uh, the wisest man ever writing a proverb for us to help us out in how we're to conduct ourselves and also gives us a little insight how we're to see things. It builds an expectation, doesn't it, in a sense. It says, if you do this, then this is what happens. It's one of those if-then propositions. All great logic statements are built on if-then propositions, if this, then that. And from there, you can begin to build your own logic tree as to how this works and where this can go in your own existence. It can go in your own life. So, uh, so, so you think about that. Think about, you know, you've heard the, the simple logic statement, if A equals B and B equals C, then 
A equals C. Ah, oh, all right. So yeah, maybe maybe you can build your own little tree on this one, okay? Or a tree house, or maybe a birdhouse, or something. Just whatever you can figure out to construct in your brain. I invite you to do that. So this begins with uh, the idea of it being, it, it's an honor. that we, we can honor God with the first fruits. We can uh, honor God with our wealth. And you're thinking to yourself, I don't have any wealth. <laughs> well, you have something. Uh, you have something. In fact, you have more than uh, a vast majority of the people I meet when I travel. Uh, you have more of that. Uh, I can think uh, lots of people that I've met along the way as I've traveled through parts of Africa, people that I've met along the way as I've traveled through other parts of the world, places in Mongolia that I was, even places going through Siberia, uh, places in China where people have nothing. Uh, even we were in Azerbaijan and we had gone outside the city of Baku and in Azerbaijan, Baku is a, a fairly modern place, but just traveling outside of there, we were in the middle of a bunch of oil fields and a family took us in and they basically were living in a, a little hut, a shanty. And it was a, a bunch of shanties all together built on this area where oil was being drilled. It was almost like a, a movie or something, like a movie set. If you could imagine kind of uh just just some probably dystopian future of people living in shanties or something and that's where we were in the middle of that and yet these people took us in they fed us uh they entertained us uh with what little they had so i and this has happened many many times so i, I just you know just just to say that wealth is a relative term and so it depends on who you're comparing yourself to. You could be a millionaire here tonight, but if the only people you compare yourself to are Bill Gates and his friends, you would still not have wealth. Do you understand what I'm saying? That you, we can always construct a scenario in which we're poor, no matter what. Uh, for example, when I first met June, uh, she grew up in kind of a, a, a wealthier environment where she's from and it's not just her and her family but i mean just everybody all the neighbors and friends and everybody and so whenever we would discuss things and i heard her say this a number of times say well i grew up middle class and just would talk about it and everything and and i remember just having a discussion with her one day it's like you know you you didn't really grow up middle class well yeah sure i did I'm like why do you think that well my dad told me that okay and everybody else around us, you know, all had the same stuff. And I'm like, all right, well, perspective-wise, I understand why she said that. But from any kind of reality-wise, from where I grew up or my experience or the people that I knew, that that was not the case. It wasn't the case that, that they grew up, her and her brother grew up in a much higher spot as far as wealth was concerned and privilege and, and, and the way that they live, standard of living and all of that in a much different spot than most of the people that I knew. But it took a long time for her to be able to see that. And part of her seeing that was meeting more people. 
meeting people from the churches that we were part of, traveling. When we go around the state and we were staying with pastors and their families in their homes and and in the places that we'd visit, visiting the Philippines together. All right, those types of things and those types of experiences begin to open our eyes. All of us begin to open our eyes to our real state and the place where we really are. And so I don't want you to dismiss this verse out of hand because maybe you don't think of yourself as having wealth. And I don't want you to think, I just want you to think about the word wealth here, meaning what you have. This is what you have. It's not so much what you don't have. It's what you do have, which we have something. Uh, we, we all do. And so this verse invites us to, to take that which we have and to create a situation with it of honor. And we can do that by not pleasing ourselves or our families or whatever or whoever only, but using that, what we have, to honor God with it. And by doing that and applying that toward God, by giving that, then we create the potential, we create a situation of honor with it, no matter how small it is. When the Bible talks about the first share, the first fruits, that's the best stuff. That's the chief stuff. And what I tell people is that when you think about the first fruits, you always got to think about that which you have that is before anything else happens to it. All right? Before it gets designated, before it gets budgeted, all of that. Because I'll tell you who wants to take the first fruits of your check, your paycheck. If you have a paycheck, I know you know the answer to this. Government. Yeah, the government, they take the first fruits of your check. At least they want to. That's their desire. Because they want to make sure they get the cut, their cut, before you even get a chance to enjoy it. Right? See, God doesn't work that way, though. At least not in this country. He does work that way in Germany, however. <laughs> but he doesn't work that way. At least he used to. He doesn't, he doesn't in, in this country, though. Uh, I, I was, I was, I thought it was really funny when I was visiting Germany one time. I was uh, talking to some people and they were explaining how before they get their paychecks that different groups take the money out of their paycheck. And so one of the groups that gets money out of their paycheck before they ever get it is the church. They take their cut. And then the government takes its cut. And then whatever's left, you get some of that. And so I, I laughed about that and I said, well, how do they know like what church gets their cut? They're like, well, whatever you're born as. Like, well, what are you born as? And the guy explained to me, you got three choices. You're either Catholic, Lutheran, or Jewish. <laughs> All right. You got three options. So, and so, and so they just take your money. They take your money. And, uh, and so that's that. So, uh, you know, that's a little different for us. 
All right, that's a little bit different, and, and they may not do that anymore. That was quite a while ago, but I, I just I thought that was really kind of interesting. They're gonna get their money. So, so, so God in general, in general, God's system's different in that He lets it be, and He wants it to be a choice for us that we lay out what we have and we take that which is first and we give it to Him. Now, how do we take that which is first of, say, our paycheck nowadays? When we know that the government already takes their cut, how do you how do you give God the the first fruits of your say your paycheck? How would you do that? Yeah, your gross. Your gross is what you really make, and don't fool yourself that that's not what you really make because it is what you really make. That's your actual pay, and 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 before taxes are confiscated. Out of your pay, that is what you make. So you got to keep that in mind. And never forget that money is being confiscated out of your pay because it's being confiscated. Right? That money really did exist at one time and it had your name on it and your social security number on it before it was confiscated by the government. And so it's confiscated, and that could be, like in this state, it's confiscated by both the federal government and the state government. They they both confiscate your money. And that's for you even see it. But you got to keep in mind that you really make your gross. And if you don't like what you're getting after the money is confiscated, then you need to do something about that. But I'm not a politician, and I, I have no idea what to tell you. Write a stern letter. I don't know. Vote. Whatever you want to do. But my point is, is that your, your real pay is your gross. And so if we're going to lay out what we make, we're going to lay out our what we have, our wealth, then we lay out the gross, and then we give off the top of that. All right. I'm not here to make you feel guilty or anything, but I, I do want you to understand what this is. So the first share is the best or the chief. Now, what's the lie? This is the lie. The lie is, is that if you give God, which the Bible declares is an honor, if you give God the first share of what you make, the first share of your wealth, the first share of what you have, the lie is, is that that will diminish what you have. That's the lie. And if you believe that lie, then giving is very painful. And it's very difficult to continue giving if you believe that. And so what happens is, is that people, is a people will give for a while, but then there will always be a reason not to give. There's always going to be an emergency. There's always going to be an issue that comes up. There's always going to be an unexpected bill. 
There's always going to be a medical emergency. There's always going to be a, uh, a whatever. I'm just saying. Those things are what happen. And they do happen. And they're going to happen. And this isn't a mystery. And so, uh, and I, I could give a whole seminar on budgeting and making an emergency fund part of your budget. And I'd give you a whole seminar on unexpected expenses. And I could give you a whole seminar on, on how to put things together so that you are ready for the unexpected or whatever it is. But the fact of the matter is something happens and you don't have enough. And so what the, the temptation is, is that if you still believe that honoring God with your first fruits is diminishing what you have, you're going to take from that in order to pay the unexpected bill. That's why it's a good lie. Because it only crops up when it matters. <laughs> It's not a super naggy lie, like one that just keeps bothering you, usually, unless you're kind of greedy. It's more of one that pops up when it matters. Like, in other words, when you're in a situation where faith is possible, the unexpected bill, a situation where faith is possible, the thing that happens that you you didn't know was going to happen, like a medical emergency, you see, those are the times, that's when faith is possible, well, that's when this lie crops up the hardest and tempts you to pull away from honoring God and taking and fixing it yourself. All right? There's a real problem with all that. And there's a real problem with that lie because that lie is based on it's all yours. And the truth of the matter is, if you really want to know, and definitely don't tell anybody this because it makes them really mad, it's really God's to begin with. It's really God's to begin with. Because if you think about your job, God probably helped you get that job. Or whatever it is your income is. You probably had help from on high. And you probably had provision from Jesus and and really the fact of the matter is you wouldn't even be bringing that in without him anyway and why would it matter the other part of that too is and i'm not going to get too far into this but people who can't wrap their heads around that they can't wrap their heads around provision they can't wrap their heads around what's god's and what's ours they can't wrap their heads around what he looks for, what he wants, what our responsibilities are, and and they're just take, 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 take. Usually live under the control of a spirit of poverty. And they will live poor the rest of their lives no matter how much they make. On the other hand, people that can wrap their heads around that, can begin to understand that, will likely, no matter how much they make, live in a sense of abundance. Why is that? It's all God. I can't explain that. I, I, I don't even know how to, to begin to tell you how that works. And But, but that's been my experience. Uh, that was my experience from the very beginning uh, when 
some of you know my story a little bit about where I came from, but uh, when I got out of school, I took a job because I, I felt like God told me to take this job that I took. And I had a, another job offer sitting there for three times the amount of money starting. I mean, it was an easy job, too. It was three times the amount of money, and then I had this job, which was a hard job and stupid hours and everything, for a third of the money. And I felt like I had to take the job with the dumb hours and, and all the hard work and for less money. Now, that's not a business decision. I understand that. Now, in my brain, do I know better? Like, if I was making a business decision, I would know which job to take, and I wouldn't have even asked. Do you, do you see what I'm saying, what I'm getting at? I wouldn't have asked that question of the Holy Spirit. I wouldn't have said, hey, God, which job do you want me to take? If I believed that God was a businessman, and that the principles of his kingdom centered around profit and business. If I believed that, then I would have just taken the job where I could have made more money with less effort. But I don't believe that. I believe that his kingdom and the way that he works and his desires and his purposes for our lives aren't centered around material wealth, and aren't centered around what the rest of the world thinks is important. In fact, I'm pretty sure that what he thinks is important is really counter to what the world thinks is important. I'm pretty sure about that. I'm pretty sure that the kingdom principles that I want to live by are, are counter-cultural to the way most people live and most people believe. So I can't depend on my business sense. I can't depend on even what I might think of as common sense to tell me what God's will is. I can't. You can't. I can't. Well, at least that's what I believe. So I'm in this job, and I'm making, you know, however how much I was making a year, which wouldn't make any sense now because of the difference in the value of the dollar between then and now. It's kind of ridiculous, like the difference, what's happened in between. But what I was making then was nothing. But I could pay my rent, and I could uh, insure the car, and I could pay the electric bill and the gas bill. And I had, I believe at the time, $10 a week for groceries. And I could put gas in the car mostly. Although I did run out of gas a few times during that time. Then I got married on that. So then I had somebody else there who was at an expense. <laughs> but, she, but she did substitute teach. So at least two times a week we got an extra 35 bucks. All right. So, so this is how that worked. I never felt poor, ever. And maybe I just didn't know any better, but I never did. I always felt like we had more than we ever needed. 
I can remember uh, we had a, 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 a there was some it was a student or something, and they didn't have they were stuck in Fredonia. That's where I was living uh, over uh, Thanksgiving. I think it was. Yeah, they got stuck there for some reason over the break, and didn't have anything. And so uh, me and June we put together some food in a in like a tops bag. That's what we had. And we put all this food in, and we just dropped it off on the front porch for them. And, uh, and so then we were just going our business. We went to a minister's meeting. And, uh, and so when we went to this meeting, we didn't know this, but they did a thing every year, because this was our first one we went to in November. And they do this thing every year where they, all the churches collect food. I mean, all of them. And there's 30, 31, 32 churches in the section. They all collect food, and then they redistribute it out to all of the home missionaries. So we had given our bag of groceries, right? So we go to this meeting. They loaded up our car with groceries more than we could even hold in a car. We had a hatchback. We couldn't hold it all. Now, I mean, we had bags stacked on top of bags and all this stuff. We, we didn't even know where to put it. And so there was immediate like multiplication of that. And so all I'm trying to say is is that, and then I, I look at people in contrast, and I know that I'm talking about me, so whatever. But I look at people in contrast; they make a lot of money, but it's like they live in poverty. They can never, they can't pay the bills, or they their stuff is always breaking and they can't replace it or or whatever it is and we we all have things like that happen and sometimes we need help and all the rest of that kind of stuff and i'm not saying anything bad about that i mean my cars break down we all need help but just the thing after thing and just that that way of life where it just seems like you're gonna live in poverty and i believe in a spirit of poverty i do believe in that i think there's a demonic spirit of poverty that just hovers around some people you know like the character in charlie brown pig pen he's got that dust cloud around him wherever he goes there's a spirit of poverty around some people it's like that dust cloud around pig pen no matter where they go they got the spirit of poverty Man, you can hand them a thousand dollars. It's gone. Where'd it go? I don't know. Yeah. Me either. But it seems to go. And, and, and whatever other examples it can be given, but that lie that giving diminishes what you have will keep people, if they believe it, in a spirit of poverty. And it'll keep people in rebellion. And it'll keep people in disobedience. If they're going to believe that. And people do. So what's the truth? If that's the lie, the truth is in the verses here in Proverbs 3. The truth is, is that giving of our wealth or of what we have we're honoring and is an honor to do so, God. And the truth of the matter is, the lie is it diminishes what we have. The truth of the matter is, is that that creates an overflow in our lives. And that's what these verses say. And understand that it's not just full, right? It's talking about the storehouse. 
It doesn't say it's just full. It says it's over full. And I do want to give a disclaimer here. I am not a prosperity teacher. Alright? That's why you don't hear me talk about this. I ain't got much to say about it. Alright? And I'm not a prosperity teacher. But I do believe this. Why do I believe this? Because that's what it says. And this has been my experience. Does this mean I'm going to be rich? Nope. Nope. Gonna have a private jet? No. Probably not. A yacht? Nope. What was that guy's name? Uh, no, 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 not Crumble. Uh, <laughs> the Vietnamese guy with the yacht, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wants everybody to have a yacht. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's not what I'm talking about at all. Yeah, yeah, no. No, I'm not even talking about that. No. <laughs> but it says that the storehouse will be not just full, but over full. There's another part of scripture, this is more familiar for this subject, is Malachi chapter 3. Anybody want to turn there, you can. There's a few things listed there. Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. It's right before Matthew, right before the New Testament starts. Last book. Malachi 3, 8 through 12. Malachi 3, 8 through 12. So you read those verses, and I I don't. I'm not going to go through each of those verses. I I think Pete's taught on some of this at the kinships and all of that. But what I will say about this is, and then the thing that really stands out to me in these verses is the idea of robbing God. That really stands out to me. None of us think of ourselves as thieves, right? I don't think so. (laughs) But if you're not a thief, then you probably shouldn't steal, should you? Right? And, And so that really stands out to me, that idea of robbing God. And he explains how they're robbing him and all the rest of that stuff. Do you see how that is counter to the lie? Because the lie would tell you to rob him so you have enough. That's what the lie tells you. The truth is, is that by not robbing him, you have an overflow. That's the truth. And that makes sense. It then describes, uh, uh, it said the storehouse to start with, then it talks about the big jars of wine that are there. 
Uh, uh, this is where I'm going to deviate from what I'm talking about right now, uh, but not really. I'm going to talk about the same principle, but we're going to understand this in a bigger picture. But the idea of the huge jars, they're going to overflow. The storehouses are going to overflow. And the word overflow, when it talks about the wine, it literally means burst out. Like burst out. The idea, the idea is of breaking that takes place. And this breaking, this bursting out of the wine, it creates this overflow, and it's described as a new wine. The, the words there literally mean the fats shall overflow. And some of y'all know what I'm talking about, all right? The fats shall overflow. Hey now. You wear tight enough pants, the fats. Shall overflow. <laughs> it's the truth. <laughs> That's what the word means. I mean, it's like the fat shall overflow. All right. So there's a bursting out. Again, did I, did I create the wrong picture here? <laughs> I may have. <laughs> there's a bursting out taking place, a breaking of a seam, a, a, a overflow, no, <laughs> of some kind. <laughs> and so we have this idea of the storehouses overflowing, this idea of the huge jars, these vats overflowing, bursting out, breaking forth, the fats overflowing. That's what's created. That's what's created. Now, what does that look like in our lives? Well, I can't answer that. Even in Malachi where it describes it, there are certain things that are described there that, that, that people could see. In other words, you can see abundance. You know, you can see having enough. You can see provision. Even if you don't recognize it, if you're looking for it, you can see it. Because you may not recognize it. You may not recognize it. But you, you can see it if you really look for it. But then there's things that he described in there that I'll keep the pestilence from devouring your crops. Now, how do you know that happens? You still have crops. But how easy would it be to ignore the fact you still have crops? And not even give any credit to God for keeping that pestilence away from your crops. He protected your crops. And you wouldn't even see that unless you know to look for it. Right? And, and so there are other things that are described in Malachi that you'd have to actually look for. And there, there are things in our lives that we gotta look for if we're gonna see God's provision. We're gonna see His abundance. We're gonna see what He does. And that's okay. It doesn't, I don't think God comes on the scene blowing the horns every time He gives you something. He's not announcing it to the whole world. Look what I'm giving Sarah. You know, everybody take a look. It's awesome. It doesn't work that way. I mean, none of us really do that, that I've noticed. You know, if we, if we give somebody something, I mean, I see people buying lunch for people. We don't announce that. And uh, special thanks for whoever it is for buying lunch. Because God knows they're broke. <laughs> That's how it works, though. And so God will give, 
and, but without a big announcement. And so whose job, whose, to whose benefit is it for you to notice? And I think it's to your benefit. It's to my benefit to actually notice that, to actually see that. Because it doesn't always manifest the same way. And it doesn't always manifest the way you want it to manifest. Because you may want something, but you may receive something else. And, and I have to say, that's happened to me. Yeah. And so it, it becomes, uh, on me, it becomes something that I have to do in my own heart to be able to see beyond my want, my desire, and see what God has really given and be thankful for it. To see what God has provided and rejoice in that. To understand that His provision isn't necessarily according to my plan. And you control freaks are just going to have to get over it. Because you try to tell God what to do and he's worse, he's worse than anybody I know as far as that. All right. He, he does not bow. He does not bow because you want now. He's going to do what he does and he's going to do it when he wants to do it and he's going to do it how he wants to do it. Amen. 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 And it may not be what you want, but it's still good. It may not be when you want it, but it's still good. It may not be how you want it to look, but it's still good. It's still good. And that's part of what we need to mature into. Our people that can see God moving, that can see God's provision, that won't get distracted by our own hearts and our own minds and our own thoughts and our own wants and our own desires and be blinded to God's goodness and graciousness and love and provision and all that He pours out. Every one of us here are blessed. Every single one of us. We're all blessed. And we can find things in our life to be really thankful for, blessings in our lives, provision, all those kind of things to be thankful for because it's the facts. They're there. And again, maybe it's just a perspective issue. Maybe it's just because I've been traveling for the last 25 or however long years I've been traveling all over the world and I'm in poverty a lot. Maybe that has something to do with it. But we are all blessed. Every single one of us. And we have things to be thankful for. And we need to find that in us. That maturity in us. To see those things. Recognize those things and rejoice in them. I could, uh, look up, I need somebody to look up Matthew chapter 9 and verse 17. And somebody else, Mark chapter 2 and verse 22. Matthew 9, 17 and Mark 2, 22. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Now, I mentioned, 
One moment, please. I mentioned that specifically mentioned in the verse in Proverbs was the idea of new wine. And new wine is a New Testament concept. New wine is mentioned in the New Testament. Jesus uses it as as something for us to understand in our present day. Because new wine can mean more than just new wine. In other words, more than just the liquid substance that results from pressing grapes. Because he was using that, and we're going to read in a moment, a couple of spots where he talks about the new wine and use it metaphorically to explain something to us and to show us something. Because he, he talks about, and you've heard me preach on this or teach on this, you've heard other people teach on this, the idea of new wine and new wineskins versus new wine and old wineskins. All right? Because there's something about new wine that you have to understand. And it makes all of those things make sense. It also makes Proverbs make sense. Is that new wine is fermenting and it expands. That's what happens with it. It overflows out of the space that it's in because of that. And that's why Jesus was teaching. He said, you can't put new wine into old wineskins. And the reason is, is that old wineskins are done stretching. They're done. They're skin. They're animal skin. And animal skin can stretch to a certain point. But after it dries out and gets old, what happens if you put something in it and it begins to try to stretch it? What's going to happen to an old wineskin? It's going to break. Yeah, because the skin will crack and it will break because it can't stretch anymore. So, But if you take a new wineskin and you put new wine in it, then what happens is that wine ferments and begins to expand. That new wineskin, that new animal skin that's there, will also stretch and will expand with it. And so it doesn't break. It's a little more pliable. All right, now read Matthew chapter 9 and verse 17. All right, uh, Mark 2.22. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. All right, thanks for reading that. And so the teaching here is a teaching, and it carries on the idea about an overflow. And what happens with the overflow when it's a spiritual overflow? Because the new wine he talks about are, are things that he's doing. Things that he is performing within the church. Miracles, signs, wonders. Things that people have seen before. Things that people have never seen before. Ways of doing things. New ways of seeing him. Revelation. New understandings. 
things that people aren't currently thinking, but that he wants to bring to the forefront. You see, we can kind of understand that. We can kind of take something like that as a spiritual truth, because that's what he's teaching us is a spiritual truth here. And I, I don't want you to divorce it, though, from where I started. You're not doing that, are you, in your head? Keep it, keep it in the, we're, we're still on the same subject in a sense here. But Jesus is speaking a spiritual truth to the church. And he's saying this, that that new thing, that miracles, the signs, the wonders, the experiences that I want to give you, you can't put that into an old way of thinking. You just can't do it. Because if you put it into an old way of thinking, it's going to bust. It's not going to work. You will not be able to move in that. You will not be able to move with it. You will not be able to expand with it. You will not be able to abide in the overflow of it. And so we need something that's pliable, something that is it can stretch. We, if we're going to experience this new wine, if we're going to be containers for this new wine, if we're going to be uh, a part of this, this is going to be something God does through you or through me, we've got to be pliable. In other words, we've got to be willing to change and willing to stretch, willing to experience something new and something different, or we're not going to be able to hold it. We're not going to be able to experience it. We're not going to be those people that God's going to use to show new things and to to deliver new things, to experience those kind of new things. We'll experience all the old things, but we won't get to experience the new things because we can't stretch and we can't move with it. We're too dried out, inflexible. And so we bust and it doesn't work. This is giving space for the Holy Spirit to move in our lives. That's what we're doing. We're giving space. But the only way to do that is to have the right outlook. The only way to do that is to leave space for Him to move in our lives and to do something different and to do something new and to do something we haven't done before. To see something that we've never seen before, to experience or hear something that we've never heard before. We have to have the right mentality for that. We have to have the right expectations for that. We have to have the right outlook for that. And I don't care if I'm talking to you about money or I'm talking to you about waiting on the Lord during worship or during prayer. We have to be in a place where something new can happen. We have to have our eyes open, our ears open, our hearts open, our minds open if we're going to see something like that. The greatest enemy, the greatest enemy to this stuff happening in our lives is pride. Thinking we know how it works, thinking we've heard this before, thinking we know what happens next. Or that we're in control of this. Or we're in control of what God's going to do. Or we've got it under control. Or that works for those people, but that doesn't work for me. That's the greatest enemy of growth and change and experience, supernatural experience in our lives is pride. And it will stop it in its tracks.
The new wine, this is a popular phrase years ago, just about a movement of God moving by His Holy Spirit. In fact, we had a whole worship uh, series, like song after song after song, that talked about the new wine for a number of years. And it was a, a series of songs. It was some worship that I had gotten when I was over in Australia. And a, a guy that was involved in just the move of God over there, he was a worship leader, and he'd just written a bunch of songs about it. A bunch of songs about the new wine. A bunch of songs about moving in God's Spirit. A bunch of songs about being pliable and about being open and about being free. Because it was a popular theme. It was something that God was reminding the church about at that time. And I remember taking considerable time to do that with people. And just reminding them that we need to be open. We need to have our eyes open, our hearts open, our minds open. We need to be open. The fruit of that was... It was people actually being open, people being open to receiving and the manifestation of the Spirit in so many different ways during that time. I mean, we were on campus, we were a student group, and people just coming up and receiving prayer, like at Hendricks Chapel, and just falling out under the power of the Holy Spirit. And just different manifestations of what God was doing during that time. But people were open to that. Because they chose to be. They decided they didn't want to be some old, crusty wineskin. They had done a great job for a lot of years, but that was it. I'll finish up the wine I got in me, and then I'm done. Retire me out to the old wineskin pasture. All done. I believe we can be more than that. All of us, each of us, can be more than that. And like everything else, I think that this needs to manifest in our lives in a number of different ways. Because I can talk to you about just being open to what God wants to do. All right, be open. Well, what if He wants me to do this? Then do it. What about that? Then do it. Well, that's embarrassing. Yeah, so what? Give it a shot. Well, I don't want to get in trouble. You're not going to get in trouble. I mean, people might laugh at you, but you're not going to get in trouble. It's, it's a possibility. But I want to see God move. I want to see what He wants to do by the power of His Holy Spirit. There was a saying that I remember reading, even way back then, and it said, it said this, God is moving, don't be distracted. Right? Because you might just miss it. And I'm sure we have. You know, each of us. The guy's been moving and we just missed it because we were distracted by, well, anything. <laughs> Most things. You remember when the exit sign was flashing? Anybody remember that? Yes. Yeah. I think we missed a move of the Holy Spirit during that time. Yeah. Because everyone was staring at the flashing exit sign. It was a sad time. Anytime a fire truck goes by outside, well, missed that one too. <laughs> Where's the time you said the fire truck and then the fire truck went past? Yeah. That was awesome. awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't hear what you said after. 
Yeah, yeah, I got missed the rest of that one. Good lead-in, though. Yeah, yeah. I even warned people. <laughs> Still didn't happen. Still didn't help any. It's like, all right, all right. So what are we distracted by? Well, whatever. And I mean that. I mean literally whatever. Because it could be anything. It could be anything. So we have to start with a, a real mindset, I think. And we have to continue in that mindset. And we have to stay diligent with who God's called us to be. And so whether I want to sit here and talk to you about finances, I want to talk to you about gifts of the Holy Spirit, I want to talk to you about manifestations of the Spirit, I want to talk about prophecy in your life, I want to talk about what God has called you to, I want to talk about the vision over your life, I want to talk about any of these things. We come down to some pretty simple principles. And the basis of what we believe starts way back in the Old Testament of who God's called us to be and and what we're supposed to believe and what we're supposed to see things as. And so I suppose I want to encourage you not to believe the lie that if you give and you do what you're supposed to do, you're going to have less. Don't believe that. Because the fact of the matter is is that giving will unleash an honor toward God and it will unleash an overflow into our lives. And you can apply X, Y, or Z to that. Alright? Money? Go ahead. Spiritual blessings? Go ahead. Gifts of the Holy Spirit, go ahead. Go ahead and apply it. Because the, the honoring of God, the recognition of who He is in our life, that's step one, day one. And then whatever's going to happen is going to have to flow from that. It's just going to have to flow from that. And if it doesn't, Watch out for the spirit of poverty over yourself. Again, whether that applies to finances or spiritual blessings or encounters with God or gifts of the Holy Spirit moving through you. I don't know. All right? I'm just saying that that's all related. And if you can't, if you can't come to grips with filthy lucre in your life. I mean that. Then how are you going to come to grips with any of the other stuff I'm talking about? Because that's the easiest thing I talked about tonight. With money. If you don't know what filthy lucre is, look it up. Alright? But that's the easiest thing I talked about tonight. The rest of the stuff is a little bit harder because it's a little less tangible. But it all flows together. For some reason, I got the filthy lucre part right when I didn't have a lot. Probably good timing. Right? 
But everything else flowed from that for my life. Am I going to say it's because of that? It's not because of that. But there is a spiritual principle to it that applied to all these other areas that I can't even begin to explain to you. But they led to an overflow in my life. And so I can only encourage you toward that. I'll take a couple questions or comments if you have them. Howard. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, there's actually two examples in the Old Testament of women with oil. There was Elijah and Elisha. And uh, in both in both circumstances, the, it was a supernatural provision over their lives, supernatural. And it was a supernatural abundance over their lives too. Anybody else? Mm-hmm. Anybody else? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's important too, and, and this is a kind of a philosophical point. If you don't want to think about this, you don't have to. But it's also important for us to understand that this is all for us. This is for us. The reality of it is, is that God doesn't need the money. This is for us. And it teaches us how to live. It teaches us about faith. It teaches us 
who's in charge. It teaches us that we're not in control. This is for us. And if you if you ever look into a, a, a historical idea too of where did money come from? And there's quite a debate about where money came from. But it, I, I just, in fact, I just today listened to a, a discussion about that. And it was pretty fascinating. But it makes sense in the context of what God calls us to. Of why money came about. And how it came about. And, and, and the idea, do you want to hear this at all? Alright. There's two theories about money. One was that some governmental entity created it and told people it had value and so they started using it. And that theory is fairly stupid, uh, in that there weren't, there's no rec- historical record of any governmental entity ever cr- creating money first. There's no record of that. And so that would have been a big deal. It's like an invention, you know. <laughs> Somebody would have taken credit for that, but nobody did because it, uh, as far as we as people know, it's just it's something we've used. And the whole idea behind it is that there are certain things that are more saleable than others. So in other words, uh, if I sell wheat, a bushel of wheat, people need that. And so if I go to the market with a bushel of wheat, I can probably sell that. It's got, it's more saleable. In other words, it's something that people need regularly and so that's easy to sell. But then there are other things like let's say I built a telescope. And so I wanted to sell my telescope. Well, that's not a saleable. In other words, if I take that to the market, I'd have to find the right person that wants to buy that, right? That wants the telescope. And then we'd have to come up with something to trade for it and all of that. And so because of that, because there's a, an inequality in saleability, not value. You understand the difference what I'm saying? But ease of sale? There, there, people discovered that they needed some kind of a medium of exchange. In other words, they decided that, okay, well, we need something that we can trade that has the same value yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So we need to find something that we can use in order to pay for things or to trade things, to make trade easier. And so that's where the idea of money came from in that they took something like a precious metal, gold, silver, something that was valuable to them, and they said, all right, well, this thing that I have in my hand has value, and so I will take this to somebody and see if they will trade me, like, whatever quantity I think it's worth, I'll give them this for wheat. And so the person that has wheat says, all right, well, I'll trade you for that. They take that, and so then they have this thing, and let's say they want to go buy some milk. So they find the guy that has the milk, and they said, here, I got this piece of gold. Would you trade me for it? Sure. So he trades him that piece of gold for milk. And so those, all those people trading that piece of gold learn from doing that that it has 
a value to it that's not going to change from yesterday to today to tomorrow necessarily. In other words, it just has value. Why? Because they give it value. Because you can trade it for something that you want or something that you need. So, the guy with the telescope can sell his telescope, let's say, for five pieces of gold. But he can take that gold and he can buy wheat for a longer period of time to provide for his family while he builds a new telescope and then finds a buyer to buy the telescope. The guy that sells the wheat, well, he can just bring wheat out every day as long as it's in season and he can sell the wheat. All right. And so that's more saleable. But there are those things that aren't saleable. And so because of that inequality and saleability, it led people to try to figure out a way that they could bring value to something and have it last over a period of time. All right. And so that's where the idea of gold came from or whatever you would call money, whatever had value. It's a marker. Right. Well, and it has some value in and of itself. The way we use it is more of a marker, but the way they used it is that that nugget of gold had some value because they said it did. Now it means nothing, right. But our dollars used to... Well, our dollars used to, and if you get an old dollar bill... It said right on it, silver certificate. You could trade in a dollar for that amount of silver. Actual silver. So before the 19... I got a few of them. But before the 1970s, that dollar actually was worth silver. Paper money, and this is a whole other philosophy, a whole other discussion about paper money, but uh, is terrible in a sense and is usually the sign of the end of civilization as we know it. But uh, but but it used to be that we had X amount of gold to cover how many dollars we had, gold and silver. We had enough precious metals to back however many dollars we had in circulation up until the 1970s. And then, boom, no more. Now it's just paper. Maybe we should go back to or whatever thing of value that would hold its value from yesterday to today to tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's one way they that's one way that uh, they kept inflation down over the last twelve years is just by printing more money. It, the way they're doing it, yeah. I absolutely, absolutely. Yes, you're right. Right. <laughs> well, they control. Well, yeah, it's, that's one of the problems with the central bank too. But whatever. Uh, that was neither here nor there. Sorry. Uh, I don't even know why I'm talking about that. But if you think about that in terms of what we're talking about, as far as having value yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and, and, and understanding it that way, that's why it's a good tutor. It's what makes money a good tutor for us, for more important things, like spiritual things, like vision things.
like spiritual gift things, like eternal things that really matter. That's why it's a good tutor. But it's still filthy lucre. All right. Let's pray. Father, thanks for uh, your love. We thank you, God, for your provision over our lives. We thank you for the wealth that you've given us. Uh, we have it. What we've done with it so far, we've done with it, but you have been faithful and you've been good and you have provided. Uh, we thank you for the jobs. We thank you for the food. We thank you for the clothes. We thank you for the cars. We thank you for the houses and the apartments. We thank you, God, for the education. We thank you, God, for all the things that you provide. All the good stuff. And we just give you honor tonight and we give you praise. And so, God, I pray that you'll teach us your ways. I pray you'll teach us your principles. I pray, God, that we can begin to apply your principles into our lives in meaningful ways. Because, God, we want to experience more of you. We want to experience more of your life. We want to experience more of your revelation. We want to experience more of your Holy Spirit. We want to experience more of all that you are. And so, God, I pray that we'll put ourselves in that kind of a position to receive more and more and more in abundance of all that you have for us. God, I pray that we'd be a people who are pliable, we would be a people who are stretchable, a people, God, who can roll with whatever you're doing. And I pray, God, that we'll stay open to all that you want to say, all that you want to do, and how you want to do it. God, just give you thanks. And ask that you be glorified. We ask it in Jesus' name. Let's agree by saying amen. 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 Thanks for coming, everybody. Good to see you.